The Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by Tua T Fitness and the Vegas Beer Guys. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language. You have been forewarned. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Halloween edition, part two. Today, we're talking Halloween. Another time. (laughs) Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, the unhappiest man in the world, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Try to say something nice, Tom. I got peanut butter on my penis. <laughs> That's a setup. That's a setup to start talking about the comedy that you hate in this film. <laughs> I know what you're doing. I, I was going to, believe it or not, I was going to say that um, there are certain moments of acting and situations that portray the comedic origins of of the filmmakers <laughs> it's interesting reading taking shape where uh you know they they write about this being david gordon green and danny mcbride um mm-hmm. that seemed like the least suitable people to take on the halloween franchise given their background and they Careful, make the comparison... you're gonna upset people oh they make the comparison it's like no, you know, nothing about Jordan Peele's career would have suggested they would make Get Out, and I'm like, yeah, that's true. Apart from every single Key and Peele sketch ever produced, right? <laughs> but there is actually nothing in the canon of uh, David Gordon Green and Danny McBride to suggest where they intersect with uh, the world of horror and specifically Halloween. Well, this is, uh, what, the rubber match, I guess, because you and I agree on all the other films in this series, or this, you know, latter half of the series. We're pretty much in lockstep on H2O, Resurrection, and Kills. Yeah. And we kind of part ways on Halloween. But you, you're, you're still, you're struggling. Yeah. To, you're, you're struggling to apologize for this film. So here's my problem with this movie overall. Mm-hmm. My problem is I think it gets less good every time I watch it. Well, that's certainly true. And that's not a ringing endorsement. No. No, it's not. Um, you Definitely, the more you watch it, the more the, the cracks appear. Yeah. But I'd say those are some pretty insurmountable cracks there's no amount of polyfiller that's gonna it's <laughs> gonna get you back I, to... I don't think you're completely right there you know oh boy <laughs> it's okay you know we can di- we can disagree yeah I, i'm fine with us disagreeing obviously <laughs> there wouldn't be a podcast without that yeah. uh... we would have never tackled the terminator series if that was the case I I guess my problem is I literally, I think I have a split personality in regards to this film. Because mm-hmm. there are things that I like and still like so much uh, enough for me to call this a good movie. 
Well, you you're absolutely right to call me out on on my setup because <laughs> yeah, right. you know if I where I pushed, I would say the thing I like most about this movie is um, the chemistry and commitment of some of the actors. And yeah. chief, chief among them, Judy Greer and absolutely I forget the name of. Uh, I only know. <laughs> I'm going to refer to him as the Wiz from Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> I have a note that we're like, we got to talk about the Wiz. Um, but he's actually very good in this movie, and uh, maybe part of the reason why Halloween Kills is not quite as good, um, right, is that it's his absence. Um, but. Uh, so I, I I like I like the I like the fact that they are the and you know starting on a positive note although I'm gonna burn my I'm gonna burn my <laughs> positive note simultaneously. Of course you are. Um, uh, they're they're kind of the parents are seen as bright and lovable in a way that we've never seen in this series. They're 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 the, the happiest sure. couple we happiest couple who are parents that we've ever seen in this franchise and possibly in all of horror cinema. Maybe Steve and Diane from Poltergeist is like the only other two. Yeah, right, 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 exactly. The only other couple of parents I can <laughs> think of, and I like I I like that they're presented so positively because there's no there's no quintessential reason why parents should be so dysfunctional in the Halloween series, except that they always are. Except that they always are. <laughs> but... So you can absolutely flip that on its head, and it's nice to see a couple of actors sort of. Yeah, uh, playing those roles a bit more loosely than we've. But seen I also before. wish you know this movie gives so much play to the things that happen into at least Laurie Strode's life and and the way it had affected her. And yet, all the things that happened to her daughter Karen as a child uh, didn't seem to rear an ugly head. Well, no, we had it, a. We it's had something a... she separated herself from, and yet still helps her at the end. You know what I mean? So well, you know, I have, I have, it's, I have, it's covered with lines like, uh, you'd have no idea how long I had to work on forgetting blah, 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 her neuroses and this and that. And I'm just a good mom now. Well, it's also... So she, she has no lingering problems with having been... I mean, other than a, a rocky relationship with her mom, hmm. there's nothing internally wrong with Karen. It's also covered with a uh, a brief '80s training montage. Yes, right. Which is is, an, is another mark against uh, the the sort of the genre of the direct sequel, in that you have to invent events that happen between the two movies, and that effectively you're sequelizing those, not the original movie. <laughs> it's just a little background, Tom. Don't let your hate give in too much. Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting though. I mean, it's 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 you know, I, I mean, partly it is it is a matter of some of this is a matter of taste for me. You know, I I for whatever reason I just don't buy into the kind of the fan service heavy quasi remake version of legacy fiction in the way that a lot of people do yeah. whether that's top gun maverick or force awakens like i, I find it a largely futile exercise mm -hmm. and so you know 
when I think you think about there's there's moments in the Rise of Skywalker that you know they show like a Luke and Leia training montage that happened between the movies, and I'm like, yeah, right. No, you can't just invent things. <laughs> Why not? Well, then do some, then use it as a springboard to do something different, which they never do. All right, fine. <laughs> Let's get down to work here, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are discussing a 2018 film retitled Halloween, directed by David Gordon Green. As Tom said, listen, we're talking about a guy mostly known for a lot of television, Eastbound uh, and Down, Vice Principals, The Righteous Gemstones. In his filmography, we're talking about uh, Pineapple Express, Your Highness, The Sitter, and we don't even really get into anything dramatic until we get our brand is crisis or stronger. Oh, okay. Uh, and I am, and I, as you, I believe are, I'm a fan of the Righteous Gemstones. I think it's an excellent, I am. Show, excellent TV show. So the none of I this think it's is great. none of this is uh, you know this isn't like J.J. Abrams where I you know dislike the canon. <laughs> I genuinely respect the work this man has done in other areas. Yeah. I just don't. Yo, think, yeah. I just don't think he's the right person to be doing this. Well, based on Halloween Kills, I would absolutely agree with you. Sometimes the sim, you know, sometimes the simplest reason is the right one, which is that right. they're just not the right fit. All right, but well, let's talk. Uh, this movie goes to seventy nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes, so it doesn't bode well for you. Most people seem to love this movie. Oh, I. That, I not that you're going to have a that. difficult time <laughs> lambasting this movie. <laughs> I know you too well, but uh on a I'll tell you one thing that impresses me. This is a budget of 10 million dollars. Yeah. And this movie looks pretty good for 10 million dollars. What's the um uh what's the critics is there a separate they have a separate critic score, don't they? Well, the critic score is Okay, that's what you're 79%. using. 79%. You mean a, the an audience score? No, I mean the critics. So, in Taking Shape, one of the great things about that book, um, God, we should really reach out to them for sponsorship, shouldn't we? Um, yeah. No matter we've been plugging them. Uh, they have like a, a page where they've come, you know, they've, they've done a, like a scrapbook of the reviews. Yeah. For the movie. And there was way more ambivalence towards. I know part of that is, you know, what is selective. You know, they're picking yeah, good, yeah. good and bad. But. There, see, even in the positive reviews, there seems to be a certain amount of, I mean, sure, why not? Mm. Rather than actively like talking about things that they actively liked, it was like, I yeah. mean, it's not the worst sequel that there's been that they've done in this series. And I suppose well, if you're I think you do, might have read was, that in one of the reviews, and you're extrapolating. No, I'm not. It out I look like a, a lot of them were sort of, well, you know, it's like if you're gonna do it, and I'm like, well, that's where I stop. Don't do it. Uh -huh. If you're going to do it, don't do it. If you have to ask that question, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hang on. You stepped on my shit. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, budget of $10 million, Opening weekend of 76.2. In the USA, 159.3. In the world, $255.6 million. That's why, Tom. Oh, yeah. It all I comes mean, down to the dollars. Yeah, everyone fell for it, for sure. Now, I want to start off throwing you a bone <laughs> you, and speak I, I don't, immediately. I don't need it. I got, I got a whole you got all closet the full of need. bones here, Mike. 
I've got enough to make a dinosaur skeleton. What I want to say is that there is one aspect of this movie in which you are completely right, and it's a blind spot for everybody involved in the movie, because from Jamie Lee Curtis to David Gordon Green to Jason Blum to John Carpenter, if you look at the the behind-the-scenes stuff for this movie, the one thing they're always saying is, well, what I loved about the, the... David Gordon Green and and, and uh, what's his name? Blum. No, uh, the writer da- McBride, Danny McBride. Danny McBride. Yeah. There's another one as well. We should be acknowledging. There is there is another one, but 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 the the you know when the pitch meetings were happening, Danny McBride and David Gordon Green had pitched this idea, and the the resounding feedback from everybody was, I just have never heard anything like it. Oh, they just were doing something so different. And as we're talking about movies like H two O, telling you, mass hallucination, mass hallucination. This is like uh, Ned Flanders's uh, Maud theme park. It seems to me that everyone is still yeah. under a gas pipe. It seems to me that they are latching onto one single idea, and that is we have also excised Halloween two from canon. Yes, yeah, and that's really it. That's so, it, which is... The idea is that Michael Myers was caught on Halloween night in 1978. Yeah. And that's our starting point. Now... No, nothing has happened in 40 years. Nothing. Except Laurie Strode is... Except a short tr- 80s training montage. Yeah. <laughs> and everything that happened in H2O. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. It's sort of like, and to to take that one step further is, okay, you've made that call. It's, you know, it's a justifiable call because you could definitely say that. Okay, that was one of my questions for you. So, well, I mean, I mean, thank you. Shut up a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's necessarily the wrong call, but the question is, okay. What have you got? What's up your sleeve that is going to be better or better done than what we've already had? And the answer is a resounding nothing. I don't think it's a resounding nothing. I know, but I I mean, I, I genuinely, I could not come up with an example if I tried as to how... And for them to sort of then go back... Come on, you're, the... you're a big fan of, of inversions. You don't like, you know... I think one of the reasons... What's, I was what's ta- inverted here? It's all all the inversions are the fake The hunted inversions. becomes the hunter. Yeah, I've never seen that before in a Halloween film. Fucking hell, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I I think there's a difference. Are you, are you specifically... The deadliest you... game of all, man. I mean, come on. <laughs> Fucking fuck. <laughs> I think the manner in ha- which it plays out again H two O. I know, I know, but, but I knew you were going to say that. But H two O, it's not like she's she's an alcoholic who just decides to do it because she was talking about Frankenstein earlier. Like she just grabs an axe. It's not something she's been planning for her whole fucking life. I I but I don't like that choice. Okay, that's fine. I mean, it's well, but it's again, it's like so. It here's redu- where it reduces the character to her trauma. Yes, 
And, I and think... that's the other part yeah. of it that I don't like. What The one thing that I think this movie should have done that it never did was I think Laurie Strode should have been an upstanding member of the community. Yeah. But with two failed marriages still, but still the gun nut. As if she's wearing a mask that she presents to the world. I mean, I agree, I agree with you, but then, but as, when you say that, I go, well, is that different enough from H2O? No, it's not, so don't bother. But then that means don't bother making a film with Laurie Strode, in a, like a Halloween with Laurie Strode. So this is the problem I have. I can never get past that. It's, it, it's, it, it's an immediate obstacle as to... Why do you think what you're doing is in any way different to what has already been done? Well, we talked about this in the ranking episode. I I, I had mentioned that I think they thought it was enough that yeah. she was a recluse. That it had traumatized and, her so much that... And that's offensive. You know, she that was is, a shell of a person. You know, the, this is the least offensive of the of the two David Gordon Green yeah, uh, um, Halloween movies. But I think it's pretty offensive to suggest that you can reduce the idea of someone being a survivor of trauma to you're like a survivalist gun nut now. Mm-hmm. I think that is that is a not a straight line in the way that this movie thinks it is, and I think it's offensive to suggest that you would you would become you know, this sort of proto-interactionist character because of the trauma you lived through. I get that, but at at the very least, it's a choice. It's a pretty extreme... It's a pretty extreme choice. That I agree with. That doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense and, again, effectively reduce... It makes the character more one-dimensional. Yeah. Which is not to say that, again, if we'd have gone from... This, if you've gone from Halloween to this, which is what the filmmakers want you to kind of uh, headcanon, right? That's right. what that's what they want you to to say. But you know, you can't in your headcanon, you can't jump over H two O, which is the sort of like feels like the the human version of this. It's sort of like a character li- <laughs> right. a character living version. with the trauma, but living with it, right? But living with it, but yeah. We, we never see Laurie living with it. We just see her reacting to a trauma which is 40 like and it doesn't feel like 40 years ago it feels like yesterday yeah and that's again that's what the movie wants you to think but cognitively i can never get there and not just because of the sequels but but also like with many of these movies these types of movies it's just not how time works it's not how people yeah. <laughs> it's not how people change it's just like it is makes it it's the top gun maverick question it's like no you don't get better as you get older it's, yeah that's right. not how it works <laughs> you're not 60 and yeah, a yeah, better yeah. fighter pilot than right, you right. were it's when not, you were that's not how time works tom yeah however much surgery you have it's not gonna happen let me ask you this is it inherently unfair of you yes to hold the other movies that don't exist in this timeline against this movie as like cards you're playing in front of it. Well, you, you, I, I knew you would say that taking shape says that. No, I, I'm, I'm actually curious. I mean, what do you, th- I'm not saying that, that, that it is unfair. I really don't know. I, I'm, I go, I, I, go I back obviously and have more of a that. problem with it than most people do, but I just think that, there is there is something inherently disrespectful to enter a series 
wipe out two timelines and then derive the majority of your content from what is in those two timelines. But can't can't more than one thing be true? Can't they, for simplicity's sake, say, we, we want to take this story just directly from the one night in 1978, but still have love and revere for the other movies to include little homages to them? I don't think I, I can't do that head tennis. Okay. And maybe that's my problem, but I just... I, I, there's a fun It's not as big a problem for me, and it, yet... It's a fundamental level and of yet, disrespect when they do for the it people in the who next have made movie, these films. What's that? It's a fundamental level of disrespect from the people who have made these films. And for me, what it do, what it it speaks to. See, what I think you're calling disrespect, they would call reverence. I, I think they. I think they. Well, if they like the films so much, why do they? Uh, you know, why 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 are they encouraging fans to see them as illegitimate? See, I think that's a leap you're taking that maybe not everybody else is taking. I don't think that necessarily because you excise a timeline, you're saying that those movies are illegitimate. Yeah. Maybe 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 it's my maybe it's it's my cognitive dissonance and not everyone else's, but I think there's. I, just I think, think it might be somewhere in between. But in but on an in, intellectual honest. property level, I mean, in no other industry would you get away with that. Mm, yeah, you know, it's like these these are people these are these are filmmakers with their own visions, and I mean, you know, there there is definitely there's definitely a sliding scale here. I mean, you know, if for some reason you want to revive the the dumb cop shtick from Halloween Five, go ahead. I mean, that's on you if you want to bring that back. You're not offending anybody by doing that. You're, people will more likely ask, "Really? Okay." But uh, again, this funny. you've you know twenty. You've got this is forty years after Halloween. In between that, you've got H2O, and there's just so much crossover here yeah. that it looks like theft. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the big that's the biggest issue I have is the sort of. We're somehow better than this, except that we're doing exactly the same things and we're lifting all the best ideas. And this is not, you know, it's not a small part of the movie. sometimes doing them poor, you yeah. know. It's not a small part of the movie. I mean, you know, sure, the Halloween 3 masks, I get that that's just a fan service I was going to ask you about that. Like, well, fine. That... I mean, but that's, okay. not, that's not story. That's not that's characterization. That's not story, right. That's not tone. That's not all the things that is completely inherited. Yeah. Added to the fact that you're that you're quasi remaking Halloween the seventy eight version with Carpenter's approval, but that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't know what this film is offering me that I haven't already seen. If it can't offer an alternative vision for how to do it. Does every sequel have to break new ground completely and totally? No. Okay. It, but, well, that's it. I mean, then it's on you to do everything with a level of Perfectly. competency, which this film does not do. I'm sorry, well, it just does not. It, it's storytelling. What do you, is, in, it's clunky, reverse engineered. It's full of circuitous logic. 
it looks like people who are more comfortable writing sitcoms. I hate to say it, and I don't yeah. want to say it because, again, you know, I'm I'm happy for people from other genres for, and for the audience. Media. Give an example. Oh, well, the, 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 it what happens very early on uh-huh. when a mask is produced out of a suitcase. <laughs> the, how hard do we have to work for this to happen? And we have to reverse engineer it so a, a fucking British podcaster knows the Attorney General <laughs> for some reason. Uh. <laughs> I mean, it, do- it doesn't seem like the world's most egregious leap. They So this is the thing, and this is where I... I think- actually take more issue with the because a lot of that scene I like a lot like the look of it I you know I like that checkered board uh whatever sidewalk yeah courtyard sidewalk. not sidewalk I think courtyard. the inmates of the institution would disagree with your characterization of it as a sidewalk I think if they were on the sidewalk they'd be a lot happier and freer they'd be so much more pleased um what you mean this has been a sidewalk all along yeah but the 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 leap of logic. There's so many. Uh, that this, th- like, the appearance of this mask would make every other inmate howl with pleasure. Just so you can kind of cross cut quickly into scary, 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 scary yell. Well, Title when you, card. When you find out that they've gone to these lengths to enact this plot point. And also, and then in the wouldn't third you act, go see Laurie Strode listen, first? Listen, no, if, if, if you. Yeah, obviously. Obviously, it makes no sense. But um, when you later find out in the movie that this was an entirely... That this wasn't the real catalyst. Yeah, right. That's a a big problem. I think... So, and then again, I don't want to disparage the people making this movie, but they are from a comedic background, and comedians tend to write in a way, or people who work within comedy, they tend to reverse engineer a lot. They start with the punchline and they say, how can we get to the punchline? And that's how it feels how like. How do you know whole... that as a fact? I don't, I'm not saying it's a fact. I'm saying that, that that does happen. That's how a lot of people write comedy. All right, fine. And that's how a lot of the storytelling in this film looks. That's how, you know, someone... We have a scene where two people argue. And so the you're only... saying they started listen... with the idea of they want to produce the mask. Yeah. I'm... Oh, that I think is a fact. Yeah. Okay. I, later on in the movie, it's like, we need the phone. We need her to not have a phone. How do we do that? Uh, okay. The phone. Her boyfriend does the gets most. Dropped in... Okay. The phone gets dropped in custard. Why is the phone being dropped in custard? Because they have a fight. Why do they have a fight? Doesn't matter. Let's. We're just trying to get to the bit where the phone goes in the custard. This movie's full of all that stuff, and I just really resent it because you're offering nothing else new except the except your way of telling the same story that's been told. And you should be telling it competently at the very least, and it really isn't in any respect for me. I mean, there. You know, I noticed th- those are the cracks that I am starting to see when I watch it now. So yeah. I can't, I can't tell you, fuck off, Tom. No, well, you can. <laughs> I just can't. Um, 79% of people yeah, would. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I get, but it's, you know, there's a, there's a certain, 
this film del- this film delivers something that people want in a way that they want it and they're willing to overlook these things that's how i see it yeah and what do you think there's nothing general... wrong and there's nothing wrong you know there's nothing wrong yeah, with right. that do you think a general audience even hooks into those kinds of things well cl- clearly i mean I, I don't know it's not like it's done with any self-awareness right i mean i mm-hmm. i it's not like it's not like it's you don't get the sense that David Gordon Green or Danny McBride think that the mask, the way that the mask gets back into Michael's hands is clunky, mm-hmm. and that they're making fun of clunky horror storytelling. It's just clunky horror storytelling. <laughs> um, and I think that's the it's that there's something kind of miss the, the, the you said blind spots and there are so many blind spots in so many areas uh, well and how do you you know i think that's a that that's a going back to the telephone telephone cell phone conversation like that's a real world thing that horror movies of today have to contend with yeah absolutely well you don't have to drop the phone in custard and invent an argument that that has no reason to happen Mm-hmm. Except for the sake that you're trying to get a phone into a into a bowl of custard. I mean, you know, couples. He could have, you know, I, I don't, I, I, you know, you're. I think you're right, but I, I could see that obviously they needed to get that phone out of the picture. Um. Except they, and that's the other element of it. Like that, sometimes they make work for themselves that they don't need to, to make. Like, why do Laurie and Frank have to know each other? It has no bearing on the narrative. Yeah, right. Uh, it's just it's it's full so of. So they mo- can have a tender hospital scene next movie. Are you, there's not there's not not really even a sense that Allison is going to her grandma's house. She's just wandering aimlessly through the woods and seems to get there. This yeah. movie does not have a grip on its own storytelling. I really don't think it does. Well, I have and I'm to surprised admit that so I... many people because the movie doesn't even along. make it clear. If Allison had ever been to her grandmother's exactly. house, if they had at least done that, I mean, once you saw the mannequins, you could make an educated guess that that's sure. where you were. Yes. Oh yeah, crazy grandma. Yeah. All right. I tell you what, we're we we're, haven't done it. We've talked about anything. We haven't talked about anything. But I, I have to, I have to tell you, on this one, I think we're gonna just argue more than actually talk about the plot. But I've got lots of specific examples here, Mike. You just don't, you just don't want me to get to them. This is going to be just you filibustering. That isn't will it? work out just fine for me. Thank you. <laughs> We're going to take a break, everyone, and we'll be right back. Right after. And we'll talk this. about the titles. <laughs> Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out 2 a T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. 2 a T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. 
She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing Halloween 2018, not 1978. Tom, your blood must be boiling. No, I'm, I'm it's, I'm surprised. You had credit about, notes, as I understand. I surprised, I'm surprised how lucid my arguments are. Because <laughs> I, I always assumed I assumed that, that you and apparently the rest of the world had some kind of card up their sleeve to show me why this wasn't a good movie. And it's yet to appear. So <laughs> so I'm, I'm all right. I'm doing okay. Blood is at normal, normal uh, simmering level. Fine. Uh, now, what about the inflating pumpkin? <laughs> well, let's start with, first of all... Is, is, that, like, is that a metaphor for everything you hate about this movie? No, no, not necessarily. Okay. I mean, it, it, it's, uh, well, so right at the start, you've got the, I don't know how many studio logos, seven or eight. Right. So you've started the music. You've still, well, you started like ominous strings. So by the time you, you get to the title shot, already the suspense that you were trying to create with that music is gone because you've had to watch like seven or eight sort of like elaborate overproduced you can't blame this movie for the state of how movies are made today i thought we were done with this though i thought we were done with like the the, you know the, the, the the sort of you know 20 different production companies the thing that family guy parodies yeah i thought we were done with that but apparently not. no let's say we all split so we you know lower our risk yeah well, we, I mean, we've got a whole scene. We've got like a whole scene between this and the pumpkin, right? Yeah. We have We're the back in an open. asylum because it's a Halloween film. So <laughs> we're never leaving the asylum. Mm. Um, and this, it, it struck me as like more, as much a tribute to Cuckoo's Nest as it is the original Halloween. Yeah, like, that's, that's true. That's where we feel we are with the record player and the way the inmates are dressed. Um, my first note is really podcasters. <laughs> They're just trying to be in the now, Tom. Is it a good idea? I mean, I don't dislike the idea. Oh, I think it's of... a fine idea. Like, so I have I, no well, issues with it. I'm not done yet. Uh-huh. I... <laughs> so I like the idea of a true crime podcast being the catalyst for bringing Laurie and Michael back together. Mm-hmm. But it would have been better if that actually was the catalyst... And it didn't turn out to be a completely different catalyst that is revealed uh, two thirds of the way into the movie. You and I and, are in lockstep on that. That's that like. And well, I'll save it, but go ahead. Yeah, because I got more. And if this movie understood what podcasting was. 
Because how is how is this different from any kind of journalism? Uh, the way it's represented here. Mm-hmm. Like, why couldn't this be a TV? Why can't they be TV anchors? Why couldn't they be investigative journalists for the like? It's it's this having gone to the length of having a podcast as a vehicle in your movie. To not only does it is it absolutely meaningless for the rest of the movie, <laughs> it actually doesn't even understand the medium it's referencing. Which I I, I think is. Again, like it's a it's it's a mark against this movie, and it's a tick in the column for Halloween Resurrection. It understands what the internet is right. and what reality shows are. This movie does not understand podcasting, at least as I know it. Why? And and here's the thing: Why are these characters British? Who cares? Most of these true crime podcasts are American. They're just British because it's the fashion to put British actors in things. So there's another level of inauthenticity here that does nothing for the movie. That's just fashion. Don't be prejudiced against British people, Tom. I mean, it's really. My, I can't. I, there's, if there's any, if there's a group of the group of people in the world I can be prejudiced against, it's my own. Um. Yeah, I've, we've already talked ad nauseum. The the mask is sure. nonsense. Uh, but see, here's the funny thing. I remember seeing this in a movie theater that night. Mm. And I think it was, you know, part of it's just my excitement. I, I didn't. <laughs> the gas main had broken and you yeah, were yeah, all like, seeing I, a different movie. I had no movie. idea, <laughs> like, like the bullshit that surrounded it at the time. But just. You know, hearing him yell, say something, followed by title card. Yeah. I mean, I remember out loud saying, yeah, come on. Oh, wow. You know, I was ready uh, for this movie. I find that hard cut offensive. <laughs> it's a very strange editing choice. Also, I, I don't agree want, with I, you now. Also, I don't want to skip over the fact that it feels like we've gone back in time in regards to how we're representing mental illness. Yeah. I mean, it's a total freak show there in a way that no 2018 film should be representing such people. But or I did 2000, notice... 2021 movie for that, for that yeah. matter. But I did notice... Because <laughs> we're not done with these guys. No, not at all. And I remember... I also remember that Sartain, though, before they go out to the courtyard, he's kind of like hugging some patients. Hmm. So you have this moment of uh, we, you know, mental mental health is has has come some ways. Yeah. But then that is undercut by the scene that precedes it directly, and then that character and the choices they make with that character. You know, you're absolutely later right. Later in the and film, I think, I think this this movie does not know what to do with the idea of psychoanalysis. It keeps telling us to pay attention to it and simultaneously ignore it. Yeah. And and that's why Sartain is such a difficult character to get your head around. Because, you know, at this stage... I would love just... to applaud that character as a big swing. But, but even the first time I saw this movie, this is my Dark Knight Rises portion of the movie. Yeah, completely. completely. Because once he makes the choice that he does in the middle of this film, I, can, I remember having a moment of, uh? Yeah. Ugh. And then ignoring it. 
and dismissing it. I mean, it. It, let's say, let's say for you're absolutely right. Let's say for now, at this stage, he's being sold to us as a Luma surrogate. You know, it's yeah. total imbass. He worked absolutely. under him at the university. It's quite interesting that you know they've reset the timeline and killed off. In their own little forty years of nothing, right. in their forty-year void, they've somewhere in there they've killed. They've off killed Loomis. off Loomis, which I think is it's sort of like, oh, like, technically you could still have that character, but okay, um, but we've given him a surrogate, even though he never died in this timeline. Sure. Um, so that's that's how we're introduced to them, and then the rest of the film is about kind of subverting that, uh, that idea mm -hmm. which I, I agree with you is it, it could potentially be an inversion and a big swing yeah right but is neither yeah no <laughs> it's really not um well so, and, and, yeah, and narratively reverse reverse pumpkin uh yeah i mean that's i mean yeah that's that sums up the I, I like i think they say it in taking shape you know the the movie announces intentions like yeah yeah we're just we're right it's like a we're, we're doing a sequel that's also a mirror image of the original we're right? bringing the, the band back together without bringing the band back together yes we just have the lead singer and also, you know, it's we see so many names of people involved with the original Halloween. It kind sure. Of, again, it lures you into thinking that everyone is on board. Yeah. Which, you know, Carpenter and Curtis are, and those are the kind of, once they're on board with something, it has more legitimacy, right, than, mm -hmm. than, uh, than other um, Halloween sequels had. And we're back in Haddon, um, Haddonfield. Um, I don't like South Carolina as much as I liked uh, Utah. Got it. Yeah, don't have to petition me on that. All yeah. right. Um, uh, and this is, you know, like she. So Laurie is in this timeline coming straight from the original movie. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you didn't, if you hadn't figured that out, you'd think that this was, this was where she'd that she'd come from H2O, right? That she'd, this is an extension of, mm -hmm. okay. Of like, that, that that was the mid stage where she was still like living in society. And that now she's outside. She's, you know, she's an outsider. Yeah. Right. Um, that's interesting. It's kind of and something else that's interesting here is like again you know she's reduced to being a, a trauma victim, that is her defining characteristic. Correct. Um, but see, and also un unlike H two O, they try and reproduce the original cut of her hair, mm -hmm. which they also didn't. We didn't mention in Resurrection. Yeah, she goes from having short hair in H two O to to the long, long hair, looking like the original Laurie, which is again what Rick Rosenthal did in Halloween two with a wig. So it's like <laughs> it, it kind of melds your mind. And here they're doing the same. They they want you again. It's like when Harrison Ford as Han Solo walks in in the Force Awakens. They want you to think no time has passed at all, right? As much as possible, despite the you know the gray. Well, and I was going to say, and, but the gray and, and the, kind of gives the, it away, doesn't it? And the sort of forty uh, percent more ornery <laughs> the forty percent more orneriness of old Harrison Ford. <laughs> well um, and, and Laurie Strode. 
They want you to get... That's the thing. It's like, it, again, it's like it's not how time works. It feels like these characters are preserved in amber. Like, you, the, the only thing that is significant about them happened the last time we saw them, but that was 40 years ago. So here's the funny thing, Tom. I was thinking about this just last night. I thought, you know, I can't believe I'm saying this because you're going to love it, but you know what would be the most interesting movie? A movie without Michael Myers that explains how she got into that house. <laughs> You know, see well, shit with her daughter. See, that has see, got see, that has got peacock two original. failed marriages. That has got peacock original series written all yeah, over. Yeah, exactly. Um. So yeah, and and this is I think that when the podcasters meet, uh, Laurie, this is where we get the sense of like, not only are we. Well, we haven't we haven't quite confirmed yet that Halloween two doesn't exist in the timeline, but certainly it doesn't. It it's 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 saying that there was you know Michael Myers killed randomly like that is the if mm-hmm. you want a headline from this scene it's like there was no rhyme or reason to his killings. Right. Well, to to the point of, uh, you're quotable from our ranking episode. Yeah. There yeah. are new no new insights. Yeah. Um. Which, admittedly, not the sort of thing you want to admit in your new movie. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but for me... And, ag- and again, and a slight counter-argument to what I said about nothing happening in the past 40 years is there are plenty of events that have happened in Laurie's life, marriage, divorce, loss of custody, but they're all tied to the trauma. Yeah, right. And that, again, is not quite how life works. Like things happen. I go back and forth on that though, Tom, because for trauma, some people that is how it works. But it's not in this. I mean, H two O is a far more representative version of how you incorporate trauma into. into no, like, I, there's no, I, I there's agree no sense with of you. the everyday here. There's like there's no sense of like what everyday Laurie is. Well, yeah, but like how did how did she buy that house? <laughs> what does she do for a living? It's a very good question. One which I think the screenwriter should be prepared to answer. Yeah. <laughs> These are the cracks that I started seeing, and I can't let them go away. And it oh, upsets I'm sorry. me. I'm so sorry. Well, on the plus side, here's where we meet. You know Aaron what it is? The Wiz. We do meet the Wiz. We're going to meet the entire <laughs> cast. We're gonna, it's like, let's introduce the new cast right now. Because we're going to meet gets peanut butter on his penis and it's yeah. hilarious for 10 seconds. We're going to meet, you know, daughter, son-in-law, granddaughter, granddaughter's friends, all in a span of about 10 minutes. Boyfriend. Yeah. We're going to get a, a exposition like, remember you got into, remember when this happened, you know. Yeah. All the things that are great to have in a movie from 2018. Here's the thing. I'm starting to cotton on to like what I think made this movie work when I first saw it. Yeah. I think there are emotional aspects of this movie that an audience can latch on to and understand. Mm-hmm. Even if the setups for those emotional things are, like you said, based on bullshit or cheats. Oh, and and reading Taking Shape reshoots afterthoughts yeah right but 
but that I think there's a basic emotionality that's still within this movie that still kind of makes it work. I mean, it's probably the only the only benefit of having filmmakers of that of this background doing this kind of movie is that the acting is kind of looser and improvisatory in a way that mm-hmm. immediately gets you onto the character's side. But when you break down the characters and what they do within the movie, you're like, ooh, I don't. I've... Yeah, right. <laughs> now I don't like them anymore. Yeah, <laughs> but I like these actors. Yeah, you know, I I'm I'm. You know, I'll watch Judy Greer in anything. I'll watch Toby Huss in anything. Absolutely. But, but Toby Huss, I mean, by the way, is the whiz, everyone. Yes. <laughs> um, and I guess, you know, that is why Halloween Kills is a much worse movie is because Ugh. none of the actors or characters ever bring you on their side no. at any point in the movie. So at least this movie has that In fact, that they're the total opposite. They're repelling yes. you yeah. from moment but one. But I mean... But it's kind of stripping away a superficial layer of, I guess there's there's a bit, you know, it's a bit more, you're dealing in general with better actors in this movie. Mm-hmm. The ones that survive are not as, apart from Judy Greer, are not as great as the ones that die in this movie. Yeah, right. Um, and so, you know, everyone seems to be enjoying working together and you feed off that. Yes. But if you strip that away, then you're just like, oh, these I hate these characters. Mm-hmm. I really despise them all. And I don't want anything to do with them. And that's the whole of Halloween Kills, you feel that way, without any gloss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're right. You're right about that, um, god damn it. With, uh... So, uh, but this is when the trio of teenagers... Do you like the uh, kids? Not particularly. No? Um, but... This is where... I think I mean, they're all th- fairly natural actors. And I actually really like Andy Matichek or whatever... Uh, who plays Allison? Allison? Yeah. Oh, Allison. Yeah, she's again. I think she's she's done a disservice by the script. Again, she's just a. They they they're only characterizing her in relation to her to her grandmother. Her and grandmother's her trauma. Yeah, and I don't. Again, I don't know anything about the as you've said. I don't know anything about the relationship other than yeah. how it was affected by Michael Myers, and I just don't think that's good character writing. Um. But this is a crucial point because this is where the movie says out loud what to this point has been an undercurrent, which is Halloween two doesn't exist in the time. You know, we've, yeah, right. We've wreck. We've wreck. Well, okay, I won't use the word retcon. It's pejorative. We've it's a we've retcon. reset the timeline to the end of Halloween. Yeah, seventy eight. But it's still a retcon. Yeah, it is. But I don't. I don't even. I'll give you it. that one. But I, I, so, you know, and it's with the line, you know, is, wasn't Michael Myers her brother? And it says, no, that's just something some people made up. Yeah. Um, obviously, I don't like the, I don't like the way that sort of paints the people who made the sequels that you're choosing sure. to ignore. Uh, I think. Yeah, but the person, a- the person who, who came up with that idea is a producer on this film. Well, so- that makes even less sense. It's like, why pile on this guy's self-loathing? He sort of turned himself <laughs> into a drunk writing this script. He understands it wasn't a good script. It's actually better than he thinks it is. It is. Yeah. It really and I is. just feel, I don't know. I feel it's like, a. it's like, wait to make something that's as good as what has come before, before you start saying how much more superior you are to that. I don't know. 
that's the way I feel about it. Um, there's lines that are trying to kind of get in front of the critics and the naysayers. Like, you know, they say, by today's standards, you know, it's kind of quaint that he only killed he five He only people. killed a few people, yeah. Uh, which I guess is something they kind of need to do. Um, well, because over the course of these t- two movies we've had so far, a lot of fucking bodies. It's, in- it's interesting from, like, a set and costume design point of view that this trio of teenagers, when they're walking down the street, they're obviously meant to make you think of the original sure. Halloween. But then they're like, God, how can we distinguish it and let them know it's 2018? Blow up a pumpkin? Give her a boba, give her a boba milk tea and put a weird hat on the other one. Oh, Done. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, on this viewing, it was the first time I ever noticed that it was a, a, a bubble tea. A boba, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, bubble tea. Yeah. And, and I mean... I kind of thought the way that they interact with each other reminded me of uh, Superbad and Booksmart and that kind of mm-hmm. that style of representing school kids. Yeah, that it had as much to do with that as it had the original Halloween. Uh, once again, when we get in the classroom, highly relevant uh, book that they're reading. Per always, never an irrelevant book in that classroom, is there? <laughs> um, and also, you know, again, it's like I, I, this just happened to happen within the same, like, within a minute of each other or whatever. So I wrote it down as one note. But we're reading a highly relevant book in the classroom. Well, somebody's and outside. And Michael's being transferred yeah. from one institution to another. Like, same old storylines. <laughs> <laughs> Look how far we've come. <laughs> how about just leave Michael where he is? Yeah. <laughs> Just once. Or just don't do it in the fall. Steer clear of that entire season. <laughs> and that's the problem. Like I think I think you could do that in a self aware way that's actually that might actually work for a kind of postmodern audience. But that's not what this film's about. It's like strangely genuine about some very clunky things mm. that I think it would be best advised to go down the screen route of. For me. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, like the just, subvert just, it. Just, yeah, just, well, just like you know, make it make it clear that we're doing this because it's a trope of the series, not because we think it's a good storytelling idea, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then have p- characters comment on it. Yeah, and it's clearly not because of everything that happens with Sartain later in the movie. You're like this. This movie. Yeah, that's true. Doesn't plausible storytelling is not in this movie's wheelhouse. Uh, ironic or not. Yeah. Um, now, what do you uh, make of Lori sitting outside the sanitarium with her gun drinking? Again, it's like... Because in the state years, that she's you've had in... 20, you've had 20 years to come up with something different. And you've... Guns overprotecting your children. Come on. Yeah, I mean, I come up with something different. With the state that this character is in, it's actually a little bit difficult for me to believe that she doesn't get out of that car and start shooting. Mm-hmm. Because that's clearly what she wants to do. So are we meant to believe that? So she does she know about the transfer yeah. independent of the podcasters? Well, I don't know about that. No, yeah, she does because she says. Oh, then they really don't need to be in this film at all. Yeah. 
it's like that's yet another so there are so the podcasters are a catalyst mm-hmm. for something that has already been catalyzed in two completely different ways. <laughs> She's already going there, right. regardless of them, and he's already leaving. And Sartain has already planned. Or uh, yeah, rather, Sartain's already Michael made his to, plan. Michael to escape. Yeah. This <laughs> to paraphrase Darth, to paraphrase Lando Calrissian. This film's getting worse all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> I yeah, told I mean, you you uh, might be able to convince me. It's it's but funny, these are like, all the cracks that you know. Yeah. Man, the front half of this movie gets worse for me every time I watch it. Yeah. But it's the back it half I mean, of this movie nice that see... I still like. It's nice to see Laurie kind of come into her own as an action hero. Um, you know, we do have the specter of, you know, the bedridden mm-hmm. Laurie from Halloween 2 to, you know, and I, I get that, you know, obviously H2O does a lot and resurrection do a lot to undo that but we do need to keep we can keep plugging away at that i think that's fine okay i don't mind that i do mind loomis's voice on tape i that's one of my notes i said we still got stunt voice you work. decided to kill off this guy <laughs> okay that was your decision yeah <laughs> and it's like you remain obsessed with these characters that you can't show and you've got surrogates for. <laughs> yes. And you're doing it in exactly the same way that H2O did it. Yeah. Uh, and you've got a sketch drawing after that. We already have a surrogate and his voice. Why do we need this? <laughs> Although, you know what the scariest thing is? When I was reading, uh, rereading Taking Shape, a uh, uh-huh. chapter on this film, and I, I mean, I haven't read a version of that book that has Halloween kills in. I don't know if it one exists yet. I don't know. I was wondering the same, but I have it only goes up to Halloween 2018. Yeah. Pretty much <laughs> like you could, the writings on the wall in terms of what they were planning to do in this film decided against and then put into Halloween yeah, right, kills. Right, right. Cause they went as far as getting a body double of casting a body double for Loomis to right. refilm yeah. the 78 scene, and then which put they it do in a the, version yeah, of yeah, in the next Yeah, 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 yeah. I read that too. Uh, so I guess we've got to be grateful for Small Mercies. <laughs> that it is just a voice on the tape and a sketch drawing. I tell you who I would cast as Loomis. You. Just, a, I think I've already angered enough Halloween fans. I think you'd be uh, a great Loomis. <laughs> I'd be a better Loomis than Sartain is, that's for sure. I'll say. Um, what do you feel about referring to Michael as the shape? It kind of bothers me, and I also don't like that Jamie Lee Curtis kind of swallows it as she's saying Yeah, mm-hmm. Like she, like she's trying to hide it. Idea. <laughs> like, you know, she if can't she just bring, said it, bring her mouth to say Because they it. also keep saying the boogeyman in this movie. So well, I'm fine with that. Just keep saying that. Like, yeah. Because, well, because the, the, the boogeyman exi- exists in world. In world, right? yeah. The shape doesn't exist outside of BTS and fandom right. on Halloween. Because it was how he was referred to in the script. And it's how... I wanted Michael. to call this the HCU, the Haddonfield Cinematic Universe. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, that's fantastic. Uh, so I feel I, I don't feel like you can just drop that sort of terminology in right. world yeah. without there being some, like you say, some kind of follow up and and it is kind of swallowed as if like you know, I'm not really comfortable saying this right. line. Um, but I also so we're starting to get into the into an area in which the character of Laurie Strode is so one note. Yeah, she's drinking outside of the sanitarium. She comes to the <laughs> dinner. She's pounding wine and talking about she's the like, shade. She's like a, a Friday night's light, Friday night lights wife. Yeah, like she can't even be in that restaurant for two minutes before having to leave. Yeah, and everybody apologizing for her and her apologizing to everyone. Or yeah, I don't know. It just um... well, but I have a I have a like a different. So, one of the ways that this movie sells itself as a as a modern movie is like being in touch with modern issues is on the issue of gender fluidity, right? Sure. So, we've got the Allison and her boyfriend are gender swapping Bonnie and Clyde. Mm-hmm. We have a scene where, which I'm at right now. You might have something before here, but this is there's a father and father son. and son with the dancing, yeah. Yeah, that's where he I wants am. To go to, he wants to take him to the woods. He wants to take him to hunt in the woods, and and he wants to go to a dance class. And it doesn't feel like, like I applaud the, the 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 kind of gesture to gender mm-hmm. fluidity, but it does feel like a gesture, and it feels tokenistic. I remember when we were talking about mm. uh, Term- Terminator Dark Fate, and I was like, "There's these, there's this like three three women, this action trio of women." And it's like, I can see why someone might think that's tokenistic, but it feels totally organic to me. But this feels the opposite. This feels like what white people on the internet complain about all the time. Yeah, right. That It's like, it's shoehorned in there. I'm like, really? In this small town? And also, the little boy who likes to dance gets killed. So he's punished for his... It's a deeply insensitive treatment of the issue of children and firearms. Yeah. I mean, this feels like it could be straight out of Halloween Kills. It's so tone deaf. Mm-hmm to like politically what's going on in the world with regards to these issues. Uh, and the fact that it doesn't actually play into anything that I can tell. I mean, it to, delivers except new to scenes, establish but scenes that were alibi. Yeah. Alibi. So that's it, right? It, but it's a coincidence. He didn't know he was going to get shot. He by a, yeah. He had no by idea. A he loose was going to get shot with a gun. But it all like, I, I also had this sinking feeling of, cause he was kind of hiding in the bus was he kind of mm. hoping to get shot so he would have a better Well, none of alibi? that is explained. That's a big weakness of, yeah. the, of this. Like, like, the screenwriters had to say in, you know, in follow-up interviews, oh, yeah, he planned it all along. Mm-hmm. Like, That'd be good to know. Yeah, right. <laughs> in the movie somewhere. Uh, so... And I think I think this is like if because obviously you know the first time I saw this I hadn't seen Halloween Kills now I'm watching them together almost as a couplet, mm-hmm. um, and I think these comically heightened minor characters absolutely sink the next film and they're just about bearable here. Right. This is the tip of the iceberg. But I also felt like that kid shooting Sartain was supposed to be comedic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And what the fuck is funny about and that? And that I don't like. <laughs> no. No. It, it, it's like, 
what the what the fuck is is the joke here? Uh, and in two th- like you know, there are mass shootings at schools all the time. Right. Why? How could you not think about the extra dimension of that? I don't. I don't understand. I don't know how you do it. I agree. Um, 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 I tell you what. Why don't we take another break? <laughs> are we far enough in? Okay. Probably not. But no. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll see how far you just we get. You just don't want any more of the movie ruined that I already have, don't you? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly. a, you're like maybe he'll forget like twenty minutes. No, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna keep agreeing with you for a while, and then we're gonna get to some stuff that I like. Okay, great. So look, I look forward to it. All right, we'll be right back. I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. And we're back once again, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing the 2018 Halloween film directed by David Gordon Green. As Tom just said off mic, we haven't even killed the podcasters yet. <laughs> we're, we're, we're there. Let but... me tell you something. I've had such an evolution on this scene. I mean, I remember when I first saw this movie in the theater... I yeah. thought, oh, a little homage to H2O. That's cool. And then it Mandela affected H2O for me, in which mm-hmm. I would have sworn that lady and her kid got killed. <laughs> and then, and so I remember quite liking this scene when I first saw it. Yeah. And then I went back and watched H2O and thought, this is so much better. It, it is. It is. It is so much better. It's also exactly the same. It's also exactly the same. It, but but not because and, he doesn't kill the wife or the mother, yeah. or that kid. And what's what I like about that kind of horror is it's the thing that sticks with you. You can imagine being Definitely, that mom yeah. and living with that memory for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Which would actually play better in this movie, which is all about trauma yes ptsd and you know it's on this watching that i thought oh they really fucked this one up because what if he got that mask and then took off in their car i mean something else might have kind of happened within that maybe they see him or something i don't know but like if they hadn't died but had to know how close they came to death 
that would have been really interesting. It's definitely the worst of the three uh, restroom sequences in Halloween movies. Yeah. And I'm including the one in Rob Zombie's Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) Which, by the way, so this is the third iteration of this this set piece, for for starters. I don't like like anything about this scene. Um, I don't like the fact that, you know, they shouldn't have the mask anyway, logically. But... I'll give him a break ma- on that. We, you know, if you've got the if you've got the mask, which is the supposedly this, you know, now a historical object, you don't casually lay it out in your trunk for any old fucking hick to find it. <laughs> and just just how like these so these podcasters are supposedly like worldly journalists. How do they not know that it's called a restroom in America? And that you would try, you would say, let's go into the shop. It's like, it's like, are, they, are these fish out of water British people? Or are they these field journalists? You're not even sticking you know? up are you for gonna go, people are you gonna from go your British own stereotype? country. Are you going to go British stereotype? Are you going to go worldly journalist? That's the only two. You can't have both. <laughs> uh, well, maybe this is their first foray into an American story. Except they say it's not. They say that they've covered a bunch of these. Really? <laughs> yes. Damn it. They say we've covered crimes here and there and in Hicksville. But, and I'm like, Shit. oh, and you haven't figured out that it's called a restroom yet? <laughs> Fuck off. Uh, for everyone else, Tom, I just want you to know it just they need a reminder. They're British. Don't forget they're British. Oh, no. That's absolutely what it yeah. is, but they don't need to. But they don't need to be British, and it actively harms their characterization to be British. <laughs> so all of this bothers me. Um, now, do you think we're seeing a little too much of Michael's face? Mm. I feel like I could pick him out in a lineup at this point in the movie. Well, certainly just based on that eye. <laughs> so yes, under under the, oh, under that criteria. Watch. Let's talk masks. We've yeah. talked we've talked about the fundamental principle of getting the mask. Let's talk about the, the mask, mask itself. itself. Well, I'm perfectly fine with this aged mask. I think it's yes. easy to recognize that it's a remade mask, that it's not really a a mask that has organically aged <laughs> over 40 <laughs> years, but I don't give a shit. It looks good on his head doused in the in the in Jack Daniels from the attorney general's yeah, exactly. office. Um yeah, I like I, I think it's a good mask. So I'm fine with it. Mask is better than the movie. Um <laughs> Yeah, and I mean it makes you know the wear so the wear so basically this movie if this movie's cottoned on to one thing, it's that the mask is gonna look is gonna have some wear and tear. Yeah. Right. I'll tell you what it looks like, though. It looks more like a a sequel mask to Halloween, too. Yes, exactly. Than to Halloween. But they found a way to make that part of the in-world story. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because it's been it's been inadequately stored. Right. For the past 40 years. It's literally it's like it's it's not under Deborah Hill's bed. You know, I was just going to say it was like a real life Deborah Hill, a heavy smoker just under the bed. That would so I have to assume she, that that attorney, attorney general, general was a, a chain smoker mm-hmm. and just carried yeah. about evidence from uh, uh, 
past crimes about in his yeah. home. Secret trapdoor mm-hmm. is my next note. Uh, Shades of Resurrection. Yeah. I think. Uh, feels <laughs> Laurie's house feels like the Dangertainment Myers house. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But I don't think it's supposed to. No. <laughs> um, I think that room pays off, though. Well, but I also yeah, have a problem in, in the sense anyway. that in the sense that kung fu pays off in resurrection. Oh, yeah, come on. it is established and then followed up on. <laughs> Speaking of resurrection, uh, at one point Toby Huss says, "I know jujitsu," and I wondered whether this was a sly dig at Buster Rhymes. Oh, I I, I always thought so. Yeah. 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 But I mean, the one thing to, that these... you need to be better than resurrection for that joke to work. And you know, yeah, the one thing so that the, that I think this movie, I really think that Danny McBride and David Gordon Green and whoever that third writer is, who I don't know, Jeff, Jeff, uh, uh, not Jeff. Fahey, I was going to say, say Jeff Fahey, Jeff Fradley, Fradley. Uh <laughs> I, I, By the time this episode ends, we'll be saying Jeff What Fahey. you're saying as they're discounting all these other stories, I think they had a genuine and earnest want to pay homage to every single movie in the series, despite the fact that they were cutting, that they were creating their own timeline. And coincidentally, it, it, it fills the, the vacuum of content in the film. Yeah. Just coincidentally. And so some things, so (laughs) I don't know why it doesn't bother me in this movie and bothers me so much in the next movie, because I I think it's more fatigue than anything else, because by the time I get to the next movie, I'm thinking, just stop it. Like, just do your own fucking thing at that point. Yeah, yeah. So... I admit that I, is, I'm giving this movie a break on that in ways you're not, and that maybe I shouldn't be, but I am. It's hard to justify when the next the next note I have is that we, we've got the lady making the sandwich from Halloween too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and my and Myers wandering, Michael Myers wandering around. Well, we have the lady making the sandwich, With- and we have the neighbor talking from Halloween too. And she's watching some TV from the early eighties, yeah. unexplained as to what why she's watching that. Yeah, um, we're remaking all the sequels. Mm-hmm. Is what we're doing, um, and also in retrospect, having seen Halloween. Kills, oh, actually, the old now... ladies from Halloween too, too. <laughs> oh, is the one in the zombie one too? T W O T O O, because that old lady that gets killed—that's from Halloween too. That's not from the original. Yeah. No, I meant I meant Halloween. Oh, two. okay. Not Halloween two, T double O. Not right. look who's talking. I had to say two two T double O. Um. And in retrospect, the film is setting up characters who would reappear in the sequel. So we see those. Uh, uh, the but couple. I have to wonder. I don't know. Was it purposeful? I think there's a there's 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 enough. I think there's enough evidence that they had a longer game in mind. Okay. 
from a few different angles. I mean, if it was just this, no. But I think there's three, there's like three or four strands that are picked up in the next film that make me think like, okay, we'll stop this here and we'll save it for next time. Because mm-hmm. of course you've got um, Lonnie. Yeah. You know they they lay the foundations for Lonnie with the uh, the Wiz sold in peyote or peyote sold. Lonnie sold the Wiz. Well, they both say that each other sold the other one peyote. Oh, that was a joke, was it? In this movie, Um, yeah. In this in this movie, Ray says that Lonnie sold him peyote. In the next movie, Lonnie says the opposite. He sold me. And I think I, I think they're definitely holding back on Hawkins. Who gets introduced around yeah. here? Uh, Frank Hawkins, you know. I mean, he's so much the archetype of the char- of the imbass of the character who should be in the original but isn't. Right. Yeah. To the point where even Laurie Strode is squinting to recognize him. <laughs> she goes, "Yeah, you are. You were there that yeah. night. The movie's telling me." <laughs> But I very so I, much I, prefer a simple line like, you know, I was there that night, as opposed yeah. to seeing an entire 10-minute cold open. Yeah. As, as that's my note. There was, it's more of a problem next time, but I still think it's an unnecessary dimension. Yeah. I don't know, like, because it never goes anywhere, at least in well, this movie. Well, not in this movie, but in the next movie. But that might yeah. have been the plan all along for, now, I don't know. Because everybody well, they, they, thought Hawkins was dead in this movie, and then he was even yeah, surprised to find out that he's not yeah, dead. Yeah, clearly he was supposed... Yeah, he was... Clear, so, yeah, that probably is a right yeah. one. Um, yeah. Th- watching this through the prism of Halloween Kills doesn't help any of your arguments. No, I, it I have doesn't. To say. It doesn't. It gets worse. <laughs> Fuck. It gets worse. It gets Damn worse it. all the time. Uh, I've said this before, but when you see a party in Hall- a Halloween party in Halloween, you're probably in one of the worstest, one of the less good sequels. Um, <laughs> oh, this is this is we a, didn't maybe mention. I'll just say note. right away, I, we didn't mention in the last movie that there's sort of the horror film cut to a new scene mm. a convention of like, especially in a horror like a a Halloween party. Boo. Where that character yeah. kind of jumps up and right down the barrel of the yes. camera, and it's kind of like the Homer Simpson star wipe equivalent <laughs> of these movies. <laughs> Homer, Homer Simpson or Soul Goodman? Yeah. <laughs> Man of the Station said he'd never seen so many star wipes in a row. Uh, so this is my favorite acting moment in the film. Um, the kid. Okay, thank who's you. Who's being babysitted? Well, I I'm I, I'm babysat. pleased that you at least at least like that kid, Julian. I I think that kid is excellent. I think it sucks that they made his reaction a comic button for the scene that doesn't warrant it. Yeah. But I I love the I think well you know obviously when when he goes oh shit it's great, it's very funny. And he is very funny. But my favorite moment is when was when uh, the babysitter's talking to um, Allison on the phone and they're trying to yes. like yeah. talking code yeah, for, weed. for weed. And he's completely onto yeah. them about what they're talking about. And the kid does Alakazam. it all with silent acting. Yeah, exactly. He does it all with silent acting. And it's almost like, I wish this movie would have taken note about how much you can do with silence. Yes. 
that you don't need to put a line in to make the comedy work. Because <laughs> that is a big weakness of this movie. And that kid is is um, fantastic. He's on fire. Although it's kind of it's kind of weird that there are so many little kids and babies in this film. Yeah. Like, what's going on? Well, because on there? they also set it all up by killing that first kid, and then when he kills yeah. Grandma, or is it the second woman? I think it's Grandma. I think he kills yeah. Grandma, and there's a, ba- a crib with a crying baby, which is voiced right. by Jamie Lee Curtis, by the way. And wasn't supposed to be. It was yeah. supposed to be the actual old man from Halloween 2. Yes, right. Because this is Halloween 2, <laughs> which is somehow... Yes. They, they've At been, least this portion, they've also this been portion preserved. of the movie is Halloween 2. Yeah, uh, he's, that, they've also been preserved in Amber yeah. since 1981. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there's that moment where you th- like I remember thinking in the theater if Michael Myers kills an infant I quit this movie. Yeah. And I think that was deliberate. Yes. Uh and of course he goes next door and then kills the other woman and then goes on. He's got to kill a baby in one of those zombie films. I don't remember, but it would make sense. I would wouldn't be it? so surprised if he didn't kill an infant yeah. in one of those movies. Um, the this the movie starting to do something with Michael, which I think is potentially interesting, although it's a little bit of a of a get out clause. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're referencing the original movie, but portraying it as if Michael Myers is is doing it in world. So we have the ghost sheet again. Mm-hmm. Which is obviously a callback to the original sure. Halloween '78, but I think we're supposed to think it's it's Michael's serial killer calling card. Uh, I never got that. Okay, so why is he doing it again then? You know, because he had the means. <laughs> and he couldn't come up with anything better. Well, he also put that pumpkin in the fish tank. He's he's like he's like the serial killer version of Ricky DeFace. He's been telling the same jokes for like thirty years. He's never moved beyond his first piece yeah. of stand up. Uh, another terrible reverse engineering tattooing his death date on his shoulder mm-hmm. when it was supposed to commemorate having sex for the. Well, person. also because he's supposed to have sex, but she tells him that he's gonna get dry fucked. Mm-hmm. So it didn't seem like she was on the same. We're gonna have sex page. I didn't say it was reverse engineered well. I just said it was reverse engineered. They stop at like at like logic point number two. And then they don't have anything before that. And uh, also he's nailed against the wall like everyone else in this series. <laughs> like everyone else in there. It's so weird. Like, Sartain is so weird because they're, they're really going overboard on the Loomis imitation. Yeah, right. Like, physically, vocally, functionally, he is Loomis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you rewatch it, you think, well, there's obviously got to be more to it than that. Well, right? There's got to be. There a is, but it's a terrible choice. I know, yeah. I know there is. <laughs> Yeah, it's a terrible choice, but but it's it's like it's almost like it portrays its own artificiality mm-hmm. because it's so, such a studied imitation of Loomis and how he functioned in in the movies. Right. Um, well, we're starting uh, to get into the area of this movie that I'm starting to like more. Okay. You know, when Vicky gets killed, that to me is genuinely upsetting because I liked her character a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good, I think that can be a good thing within the horror genre of, of losing people you don't want to lose. 
Yeah. And I I I quite like the uh backyard light movement scene with Oscar. How is well let me ask you a question. How is it different from the Buster Rhymes scene? Isn't it the same gag? He doesn't know that Michael Myers is there. He just thinks it's some random guy. So he's talking to him as if he's some random guy, not knowing that he's about to be killed. Yeah, or, but... Well, I mean, that that's how it's different from Buster Rhymes. Buster is that this kid doesn't have the kind of PR machine that can prevent him from being killed. Right. <laughs> There's that. But also... I mean, it's it's not it's not ever... Well... It's mostly not played for comedy. Well, and also, you know, for Buster Rhymes, it's joke writ large. Yeah, but does it isn't isn't everything in the scene basically over as soon as you see those railings? Because don't you know exactly where the scene's going to go as soon as you see the railings? Not necessarily. I mean, yes, probably, but. Do you think it's just a coincidence that Laurie's daughter's called Karen and she's the one complaining to the police officer? Was this pre-Karen? <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. Was this a... Cause I, I know, you I know, know what? A, lot, a lot is made of this movie being, you know, playing into Me Too, but being made before Me yeah. Too. Is this pre-Karen? It might be. It might <laughs> because, be. Because Judy Greer's Karen is very Karen. <laughs> yes. So much so that her mother has to say, Karen! <laughs> Shut the fuck! She, like that's where it ends. But we know that 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 Karen yell is "Shut the fuck up and get in the house." Um, but I'll tell On you what else field, I really yeah. li- like. The you know, I, I like the the lights on, lights off. Suddenly he's in front of him, even though it's bullshit because you could hear you, you would absolutely hear his footsteps if he's five feet away. But okay, uh, talking myself out of it. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you ju- you just used the same rationale you used to attack Resurrection to talk about something you like in this movie, but carry on. But I'll tell you what I like the most about it is the music sting at the end. I like mm. that hard guitar. Oh, I really don't. Oh, you don't? Like the guitar. Oh, I. I don't know why a guitar. I don't know why there's a guitar on any of this music. Oh, I liked it. It goes against the logic of the synth track. Yeah, but in that way, it's different, and you should like different things. You want things to be reinvented. But I don't asshole. like I don't like needless electric guitar <laughs> musically shitting over a piece of music that is excellent. You can tell. Don't tell me you can't see Cody Carpenter. It's not over the music. It's just its own you, thing. You can't, like what you so basically this is how I see that like the score being constructed. John Carpenter sat at his synthesizer very quietly and deliberately. Well, no, there's three of them the now. Notes. It's him, his son, and another guy. And then Cody comes in with his electric guitar and he's just going like my son does to me, like you know, just to get in my face when I'm doing something productive. How dare you? Anyway, we're not there. We're not there yet. Um. I think they knew, I don't know if this is in defense of the movie or not, because it re- it applies to Halloween Kills, so probably mm. not. Um, they totally knew they were going to use that closet as Michael's escape route. 
Because that closet is fucking everywhere in the in the show. Well, they're like. It goes up, it goes down. It's like a store demonstration of the da 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 And I'm just like, how, like, I like when I saw Calvin Kills, I was like, oh, he got in the, you know, it was in the closet. I didn't see that coming. I was like, fucking should have seen it coming. Because they, they just, like, there's a scene where they're just going, and it goes up and it goes down, and it goes up, and there's room for a person, and then there's this, and there's that. Well, so much of this movie, like, a lot of Laurie's house was constructed for that Loomis bit you were talking about earlier. Oh. So in her house with the sh- kind of shuttered yeah. uh, closet doors, that was made to be the closet door from the 1978 original. Okay. Because they were going to do the Loomis thing. And then they decided against <laughs> that, so they redressed it for her house. Wow. Because no wonder she has in such a bad fucking state because she's living in the same, you know, house with the same closet in which she had to poke him in the eye with. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I hadn't even thought about that. <laughs> yeah, psychological realism is not this film's uh, strong suit. What do you think um, of the inversion where... of, uh, of Allison going to somebody's house, but they open the door? I'm not quite there yet. Oh, okay. I got... Well, this is the Sartain reveal, I think, happens. Well, no, that's after. Oh. Because the cops pick her up at that house when she runs away from the game. Oh, you're not talking about... You're not... uh, Okay. That's good. The way way you put it, that's good. I didn't read it as that. I'll take it. I I, I will put up no But this is where I have my biggest problems of the film. (laughs) Yes, Sartain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So... It's one thing to use the trustworthiness of the Loomis legacy as a bluff for this guy really being the villain all along mm-hmm. if you hadn't already done this with Loomis <laughs> in previous sequels. <laughs> and also, I just... And then again, this might just be something that is that is my own bugbear and no one else cares, but uh, also that, that would be a good subtitle for this podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, just for, just for, for reference, uh, it's like in the end, he's just an obsessive fan. Yeah. Like we've seen this archetype so many times now, even in the series, Harold from the last yeah, film. Right. <laughs> you know, it's typically a weak choice. I, uh, and that's his, that's his only motivation, right? I don't, I that's can't... the thing is like, you, you can't, you can't give that character enough credibility to make this choice because for him to be making this choice Mm. he would have to be the world's most charming psychopath and he's not he shows genuine care Mitchell Ryan that's he shows genuine care for an inmate at that asylum early in the film and Mm. I don't like that it's that you find out later that it's all a ruse and it doesn't, it just, it doesn't make enough sense for him to be an obsessed fan to go to this length. No. Like if he was, even if he was curious, if he was curious enough to want to see Michael in the wild, whatever (laughs) it is he wants to see, 
Dr. Loomis you got to became, see him in the wild. You just became Why me can't for a I second. see him no, in the was, wild? You just became me for a second. I know. That was quite creepy. I know. But for him to... I feel to, like there's some kind of psychic transference going on a la Halloween 4. But for him to take it that far to, like, have a secret weapon that he kills a cop with. Yeah. I mean, that's where I take issue. And supposedly staged the bus crash, which isn't said in the movie, but is exactly what the screenwriter... But it's exactly what he did, happened. yeah. Yeah. He did that. He he caused mm-hmm. the bus to crash. Yeah. And that's just too malevolent. Like, that's... Yeah, I mean, it's it's it's, it's Bond villain level. Yeah. Uh, uh, elaborate, isn't and it? And not that they're and... going to take this further in the next film with Lonnie's, you know, map tracking... But it undoes what we want from this film. So to make yes. this all his plan and the happenstance, yeah. like it, it, oh man, it really fucking. It, under, it undermines both Laurie's desire for revenge yes. and the, the, pod, the podcaster's entire storyline. And I really noticed on this version how much Laurie is talking about her relationship to Michael Myers. He's yeah. been waiting for me. I've been waiting for him. Yeah. And all of that is null and void by yeah. making this character make this choice that they'll double down on and make abundantly clear in the next film. It's also, it's telling you also that that, that Michael will get out come what may. Yeah, right? right. Because there's three possible ways in which he can escape. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. I'll tell you, another level of implausibility is that such an esteemed psychiatrist would be so easily manipulated psychologically. Yes, right. I mean, By a high school is doing, student. The most, doing the most basic yeah. fucking <laughs> Jedi mind trick. <laughs> right. And he's buying into it all. And this guy studied under Dr. Loomis, apparently. <laughs> well... And presumably Loomis had a whole class on, don't let... Victims of Michael Myers tell you they have a secret that's word. not true. <laughs> um, so the character is sketchy, even yeah. when we're not talking about this unconvincing plot twist. He still not doesn't work as a character. This movie does not earn that plot twist. No, and that's my problem with it. And also, oh well, uh, just just to add to not that we need to, but just to add to that. Um, when he's trying to get Mike, he's saying to Michael, say, uh, and again, this is hypocritical of me because I really liked it in H2O and I don't like it mm-hmm. here. Uh, he says, say something. Yeah. Which, again, this is something that exists in behind the scenes and fandom where they talk about, oh, Michael never speaks. Right. It's not something anyone's commented on in the world. Right. Just as, like, Get up, you always get up in um, H2O. H2O. It's just, it's the convention of the film. It's not something that anyone in the world talks about. And yet, for some reason, it really irritates me here. Again, maybe because it's not earned. This movie Mm -hmm. isn't kind of meta enough to to make that leap. And yet, it's in two words, it says something more deeply about the character for the choice they make for him than anything else he's done. Mm. You know? Oh, yeah. Okay. Kind of, you know, it's like all of this was for that. 
I mean, it it's still not earned, but but yeah, I almost could understand it more. I tell you what, why don't we take one more break? Oh my God! We're gonna do a four-parter, <gasps> and we'll come back for another short excited. segment. Short segment? I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> right after this, we'll do we'll do another we'll do a beginning of Halloween. Yeah, but we're we're at the we're at the last chapter of this movie, so we'll take a break and come back. Um, All right. Okay. Today's episode is brought to you by the Sounds in Cinema podcast. If you like podcasts like I do, boy, do I have a treat for you. You need to stay on target and check out the Sounds in Cinema podcast. Listen as your host, sound designer and music creator, Tony Parham, and co-host, musical performer and sound lover, Derek Hansen, D-Rock if you're nasty, and I am, discuss all things sound-related to film, television, stage, and theatrical productions. They discuss environmental sounds, bioacoustics, dialogue, the nature of communication through sound, but as an added bonus, they drink beer and try to... Stay on target! Find them wherever you get your podcasts and listen to the pure mania of a man who can charitably be described as Doug, the dog from Up, and another man with a soothing and sultry voice trying to get that man to stay on target. That's the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. Tune in and listen to the sounds they are creating just for you. And we're back, ready to fight one last time Mm -hmm. over Halloween, the 2018 film. (laughs) That was worth doing a last segment, that (laughs) intro. All right, Tom, this is the part of the movie I like the most. Okay. Um, I'll let you take the lead then. You're not wrong about (laughs) several of the things you've said, including how does Allison find that house? There's no logical reason for it. Blah, blah, blah. She's just running through the woods. Very like Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah. I'll tell you the things that don't work first. Okay. So there's that. Jesus Christ. There's this. Uh, Even I want you to be more vociferous in your defense <laughs> than you than you're being. There's this idea of Ray seeing the cop car. I get like your daughter's in danger. That's not stopping you from playing with a yo-yo, by the way. But you see a cop car roll up. You might open the door and say, "Hey, have you heard Michael anything?" Defending the film. <laughs> this is Mike defending the film. <laughs> Stop mentioning things that. To ruin your argument. <laughs> I'd forgotten about the yo-yo. No one remembers the yo-yo. <laughs> to me, that was more like, remember he was the whiz? Yeah, definitely. Um, but listen, you know Michael Myers is on the loose and looking for fucking Laurie Strode. So mm-hmm. once you yell at a cop car once and there's no answer, don't investigate. Yeah. This is to say nothing of the fact that, of course, he gets killed. And in the meantime, Lori tells her daughter to go down below. Then she almost gets attacked through the door. So Mm -hmm. that's a stupid place to be. There's fucking mirrors right there. You think he can't punch through a mirror? But at least she gets a shotgun blast off and takes off some fingers. And then she goes down below. 
Now, what we see on screen is Michael put his hand through the door, open the door, and walk in. Then, inexplicable, inexplicably to me, Lori shoots through the fucking floor. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm just like, stay fucking quiet. <laughs> like, let yeah. Michael walk about the house completely. Don't let him know where you are. That's dumb. But isn't isn't this all fading? To, this isn't this all fading into the idea that this is to all to some extent planned. Like even the things that seem like mistakes, yeah, are drawing yeah. him ever closer into this trap. Yes, this ultimate trap, which does not make sense. But I think that's what the movie's going for, that they're not making like right. horror movie mistakes that people make. They look like they're doing that, but But it's in world it's yes. I mean it's impossible to fabricate. It's putting that down in the reality. breadcrumbs. Yeah, exactly. Right. Again, like Hansel and Gretel, isn't it? Yeah. It's a sort of fairy tale. But also analogy. so then she decides she's going to... I'm gonna... not defending that choice. I'm just saying I, I think I, that I, is... I knew. I think that is a choice. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Like, But, uh... I mean, look, this doesn't really matter. What, what do I care? Fucking... But she immediately goes up and starts looking for him. I am led... Like, you're led to believe that Michael went straight upstairs. But somehow he went outside and got Dad's body. Uh-huh. Dragged it upstairs and put it up in the closet. Yeah. I'm just saying the timing doesn't work out. No. But they had to get that body off the lawn. Otherwise, they can't just have daughter walk in the door without seeing her father's dead body. Mm-hmm. So it, the body's got to be gone. Okay. Putting all of that aside. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. I thought you'd moved on. Putting all that's of that aside. The, that's just the problems you have? Yeah. Christ, okay. Putting all of that aside, I <laughs> I think I mentioned in our ranking episode, I love that three generations of women are coming together to work against and attack their oppressor. Mm. I like the tension that's built up. Uh, very little music used as Lori's going through the house. I do like the inversions of Lori going over the side of the balcony and Michael Mm. seeing her and then looking away and then she's not there like he was in the first one. How her face appears out of the blackness. And she says, I don't like the line so much, but she says, happy Halloween, Michael, and then smacks him with a frying pan. (laughs) But I really love the moment with Karen. I can't believe she hits him with a frying pan. That's <laughs> what was available, Tom. Yeah, but you could you have a script. You could write whatever you want. Doesn't have to be a frying pan. <laughs> Carry on. They're in the kitchen. You love Karen's. Uh, I like her uh, subterfuge. I think it's very well acted. I, yeah, I think that I think that moment works so well. And then when they're, you know, when they they have to have Allison, you know, they're telling Allison to run away. She sees the mm. the knife and actually uses it to get her off of her own mother. Yeah. When Karen pulls that lever twice and whatever, you know, the spikes go through the wood in ways I can't imagine how. But but it looks cool. And when they're yeah. standing above him, ready to throw the flare, 
Like this movie actually actively wins me over in that moment. Okay. Yeah, and and you know, I was in, interested to read that both that this was this was a reshoot because the original ending didn't work. Yeah. Just between Michael and Laurie and it's all it's Well, and he ends up in the mannequin forest. <laughs> and we're just not sure if he's not dead. The, not the same forest from Mannequin 2 on the moon. Right, no, different, different. Uh, um, so, I, I mean, I think I think it's a better choice. I mean, it, uh, like, you're right. The, the, this, and I think you've already admitted that it's probably accidental, this symbolism. Yeah, it is. Of the, of, of the, of, but, but certainly... But I'm not going to hold that against the movie. I mean, no, it, it no. you know, it, it takes it and, to another level that matters and works and is... And clearly, and clearly, enough people have read it in that way that it it it's it's it means something to people. Uh, that that that's what it, it's symbolizing. When you when you scratch below the surface, it's I think it's a little more like the kind of pro vigilante discourse that we that we get, get in the in next Halloween film. Kills. Yeah. Um. And at this, I mean, like I've seen this a few times now, and I think. Maybe I didn't have as, I I didn't necessarily have the same reaction as you, but I definitely clocked that. Oh, it's nice that that you know there's the, these three women taking on their attacker, mm-hmm. you know, and there's no there's no Buster Rhymes to come in to show them how to do it. Yeah. Um, but I kind of like on subsequent viewings, I just feel really sorry for Karen. It's sort of like. You know, her story is she's escaped the inherited trauma and here she has to sort of like it's like a familial rite of passage for her to become a victim to that same yeah, right. generation, multi-generational trauma. And first of all, I mean, it's nowhere in a character, the, the, the subterfuge thing is nowhere in a character that we've established so far. It feels really disingenuous to me. Um, I like how it's acted. I like how it's performed yeah. as, as a bit of business. It's great. Um, to me, so, it's when she sees the rifle and she sees her initials on it. And there's so she much. knows what she has to do in that moment. But yeah, and it's so much. That's like, the bridge for me. Yeah. Um, so much of like it's so like look again, and it's it's hard not to see it through the prism of Halloween Kills. Yeah, and the pro- true. You know, the project of the film, it's like so much about taking up arms and guns, you know, taking up arms against people. I don't hold it against this movie, problems. though, because of Halloween Kills. But it's definitely warming up to that. Yeah, I, I yeah. Because I vi- vigilanteism is, is, is romanticized here in a way that is warming up to the project of the next movie. I don't think you can look at them separately. I don't know. I, I, when I see Laurie... And it picks up exactly from where When I see Laurie by herself in this compound, it's not... I'm not getting a romantic notion of, of, you know, a woman looking for justice. To me, that's sad. It just turns out that she happened to be right because she knew Michael Myers. She knew what he was. But that's was... a problem that she's right because that's essentially saying you know we should all live like. This. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, to me, it's more but... like uh, this particular man slash entity <laughs> is its own thing. At this point, he's a man. Yeah. <laughs> so to to me, it was always uh, it's it's not a 
like looking globally, like stretching it out, it's a terrible argument. Mm. But within the confines of this story and that character, I'm okay with it. But like you said, the, the way the the manner like it's a stepping stone to the next movie in which it's ugly in ways I can't forgive. Yeah. I mean, I have some dramatic problems with the scene as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that, well, I find myself drifting during the sequence, which is not a good sign for a set piece primarily based on suspense. And oh, once I you don't. know that, okay, fair enough. Um, once you know that Laurie's anticipated every move Michael will make, I don't know what the threat is anymore. Like. I feel like the the movie reveals the end game too quickly. Oh, I don't know that the, she's anticipated every move. When when it becomes like, you know, Temple of Doom uh corridor, at that point I'm like, "Oh, this is the way it's going." <laughs> um and it's not clear how Michael knows they're in the basement unless he can smell people like a dog or or a giant from a fairy tale. Well, she shoots um, through the floor. No, but the, later on, like the like the secret the secret basement, he finds he finds Karen in there. Yeah, but he's a super smart killer. He, okay, okay. You know, yeah. come on. Get, well, that's the that's the leap I'm questioning. He's wily. Come on. He, he's thinking to himself, if I was going to build an under an underground <laughs> structure, I would build okay. it right underneath this kitchen island. Okay. Can't fool me. I, I'm Michael Myers. And maybe it's ageist of me to say, but I think there's something tasteless about this straight fight between two middle-aged people in the middle of this scene. Like, <laughs> it's like, why am I watching this? I feel like this is something on the internet I shouldn't be looking at. <laughs> um, so no, I, I don't go there for that. Okay. Uh, so yeah. Um. I don't like how little simpering bits of dialogue are all cut in. Like, I love you. Like, don't need it. Mm. Um, there's a lot of H2O in here, like actual ideas and shots, um, which right. I don't appreciate. Um, I don't like that the dad's gun sets off the alarm. It's like, see, if you have a gun, you're always safe. Um <laughs> Yeah, I don't have. I wish I had more positive to say, more positive things to say. Again, other than that, Judy Greer really sells a moment that makes absolutely no dramatic sense for her character. <laughs> that's about the best I can. That's about the best I can say. So I don't find it effective as a set piece. Particularly, there's too many. All of that stuff you mentioned is, yeah. is, is too much of a ceiling for me to mm-hmm. engage with the scene because I'm constantly thinking about it. And that's before I've even thought about how morally abhorrent what they're saying is in this scene. Sure. Oh, and then burning of the dollhouse. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. a, a piece of symbolism so on the nose that I think you can just about see the rat from the end of The Departed in the background. <laughs> And it's, again, like, you know, obviously this movie has gone to great lengths to distinguish itself or extinguish Halloween 2 from the timeline. Mm-hmm. And yet in storytelling terms, Michael dies in exactly, exactly the, the same, same way. way right? <laughs> he does in Halloween 2. 
<laughs> and Laurie ends up in exactly the same position as she does in true. the sense she's in a, pick, <laughs> a pickup true. truck, not an ambulance. Fuck, you're right. Oh, man. And I mean, yes, that's more of a problem in the next movie. In the next movie, they really it's have It's funny, though, because I, I have been willing to, to kind of shunt aside your argument about excising timelines and then borrowing, begging, stealing things from them. Mm. But but on that one, I agree with you completely. Yeah, it's eliminating a, I mean, you, eliminating Halloween set... two and then taking its its ending yeah. wholesale is that's pretty egregious. If you and it's fire again, yeah, that's what uh, I mean. You know, it's because that, I mean that is a problem. If you set yourself up as the superior alternative to a film that didn't work, you have to find a way to surpass it. Well, but I'm not. I also disagree with you there. I'm not saying that that's what they're saying. They think this is be- they think what they're doing is a more worthy project than Halloween 2. They definitely think that. I think maybe think, John Carpenter thinks that. They think that no, these guys think that they that they have got the problems of Halloween 2 figured out and they know how to make a better movie out of the same material. And I I I really think that is a fallacy. Well, obviously based on the next film. <laughs> Well, no, but this is how this is their Halloween two. Yeah, I get what you're saying. And Halloween two, in spite of all its flaws, is still a better. It's still it's a far, so far much better movie. All right. Even having a whole half of the movie that doesn't work, it's still better. Than I this. was I was afraid to talk about all of this, and for good reason, because everything you're saying i can't I, I there are things that i push back on but there's it's not a lot where i'm saying i'm not trying to be compelling where i'm, where try, I'm, I'm saying to, tom you're you're wrong shut up <laughs> i'm trying to receive as i'm trying i'm trying to receive as well as uh what's the opposite of receiving imparting Impo- yeah <laughs> i'm 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 tr- i'm trying and you know you you've you've definitely I think there's there's maybe three more things I like about this movie than I did when I started talking about it with you. Okay, good. I'll count that as a victory. (laughs) What about a... uh, Total is about five now. Perfect. I did it, everyone. You did. (laughs) That is no mean feat. What about a credit check? Yeah. um, Dedication to Mustafa Akkad. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of like that it's a, a multi-generational family on screen and off screen as well, because Malek, yeah. his son, is producing. So I like that. Um, End of credits? <laughs> what? <laughs> I just think that would be funny if that was your only credit note. We can do that if you want. <laughs> I've actually got about half a page. But All okay. right, go ahead. Uh, PJ Souls is the voice of the teacher. Yeah. Um, Legacy actor, but not playing legacy character. Can't. Um, can't. Yeah. It's a tribute cameo. Uh, yeah, well, this is where I've got the notes about all the electric guitar and how like playing electric guitar over the Carpenter theme is both gilding the lily and missing the point. <laughs> See, in that moment, though, it's just the guitar. Okay. Well, here it's... Play, playing over playing it, I get it. Yeah. Over John Carpenter's uh, perfect piece of music. Yeah. Um, 
Now, I didn't realize how significant a credit check this was until Halloween Kills, so I won't spoil the ending of this, but All right. I, I, will, I will plant the seed now, Halloween style. Construction coordinator Tom Jones Jr. <laughs> now, at this point, it's just a shitty joke about how that's Tom Jones' son. Right. Okay? And some more children of famous people like Jamie Lee Curtis. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> okay. But remember that name, Tom Jones Jr. Tom Jones Jr. Loop who's talking. Yeah. <laughs> They're the people who looped the dialogue. Not only a pun, but a pun about sequels. <laughs> Subnote, pun-based businesses. Ever a good idea? Um, uh, what is Cody Carpenter contributing to the soundtrack? Just playing guitar over his father's music. It's the other guy playing the guitar, goddammit. What's Cody Carpenter doing then? I don't know. He's doing other shit. He's playing the other side of the synthesizer. Maybe. <laughs> uh, credits reveal that those were the original Halloween 3 mask designs that the trick-or-treaters were wearing Yeah, uh, they look good in these movies those masks they do yeah. they do um, Close to Me is the song that ends um, the movie which is a song so now do I have this right because they're playing like John Carpenter's Theme yeah. throughout the whole thing and then there's like eight to ten seconds of this song yeah right but do you know what this song is written by john also written by john carpenter and jamie lee curtis oh i didn't know jamie lee curtis yeah and it's called close to, it's called close to me and it sounds like a song from a david lynch film mm-hmm. doesn't really fit in here yeah right however you're right it, it does sound in... like a david lynch yeah. movie wow but it's kind of weird because, well, it's weird for a number of reasons. David Lynch, obviously, David Lynch was at one point set to direct Halloween mm-hmm. Two. Um, but this is, but it just feels like it doesn't fit in a Halloween movie, and yet the the two people who wrote it are John Carpenter and Jamie Lee Curtis. And if you know, maybe they know better than we do. Right. Right. <laughs> Amazing. Like I'm just a guy going. That doesn't sound like it fits. I am not the man who. Both, both made Halloween and wrote the music for it, <laughs> and the actress who is in most of these movies. So that's what great. do I know? And that's all I got. So there you go. What I, I think this whole podcast could be summed up by me saying, "What do I know?" <laughs> because I'm not going to change anyone's opinion and in, and impinge on anyone's enjoyment in this movie. Uh, because well, I have not heard this reaction to the movie from. The mainstream. Uh, did you have you did you go to Rotten Tomatoes? Did you look for any signs of what you're saying? Descent? No, I I mean, I so I you know I obviously what the context of what I already said that 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 the reviews are not as vociferous as I would expect them to be at seventy nine percent. Um. And, you know, I've heard some grumblings about some of the creakier aspects of the film with regards to Sartain and some and the mask as well. You know, the 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 uh, the origin story of the mask. Um, but again, it's like not something that seems to ruins people, appre- ruins people's appreciation of this film, which is interesting because that's sort of exactly how 
the reaction to Top Gun Maverick and The Force Awakens would be, and I feel exactly the way about those two movies. Yeah, right. So, at some point, you've got to, you know, check out The Man in the Mirror. And, uh, the one who is. Ah, you might be a braver soul than you're giving yourself credit for, my friend. Yeah. I think fundam fundam so the headline for me is, is fundamentally bad storytelling. So here's and, the thing about this movie, and that rank and that rankles me more yeah. than it does some people right. in, in in when they're watching a a legacy property that they generally enjoy. Yeah. it's actually worse for me that this is a Halloween franchise movie. Mm-hmm. This was just a run of the mill. If this was an original title, I'd have less of a problem with it probably. Right, because to me this movie. If you don't scratch underneath the surface at all, yeah, it's a really good movie. Mm. But if you think about the movie while watching it and do any sort of critical analysis, it really starts to fall apart. <laughs> and so, you know, that's that's part of the problem for this movie. Interesting. Uh, and I might I I admit I might be wrapped up in what I didn't see my first time watching it. Hmm. Cause I loved it the first time I saw it. And so much of it is about context as well, like original you know, I've I've gone both ways on a number of movies. Mm-hmm. You know, have the saw the first time I saw it, did not enjoy it. Second time, really did. Even on our ranking versa. episode, you said you have to give Jaws 2 some more credit. Jaws 2, <laughs> um, you know, I did really didn't enjoy No Time to Die when I went to see it the first time. The second time seeing it, I enjoyed it far more. I still have problems with it, but mm-hmm. I, I did overall enjoy it. Um, I've admitted on a previous episode, Superman Returns, I really enjoyed the first time I saw it. And, and now... Yeah, right. Uh, you know, it's an abominable movie. I can't imagine what I enjoyed about right. it. Right. Uh, so that happens. That happens. Sure. It? Sure. Yeah. And it, you know, you, you're you're a you're a good audience goer who who invests in the audience around. I you, am the I ideal audience goer for movie makers. <laughs> I, I am going to give you every benefit of the doubt possible. But that's great. I mean, that is, you know, that's that's what theatrical movie going is all about. Sure. Like you don't only buy into the film, you buy into the crowd around you. And that's how you and... know I really hate Halloween Kills, which we'll be talking about next. Yeah, very good. <laughs> what a segue. Yeah. It's never good when you only talk about the segue. <laughs> Here are the problems I have with the segue. I like the segue. <laughs> But I got all these problems with them up front, and I'm gonna go through them in detail. I'm gonna go through them in detail, and then the positive things I say about the segue will last exactly one minute. And they'll hang on the hook like a dead dog. And then I and then I will spend twenty minutes knocking down everything you just said in defense of the segue. Perfect, because that's how we do it. All right, ladies and gentlemen. What do you think of Halloween from 2018? By David Gordon Green. Right. Most people <laughs> seem to love it. Uh, Tom, but those people Tom dislikes mean. it <laughs> actively, and I am yeah. less and less enamored each time I watch it, sadly. Maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll revisit this one. Yeah, 
That'd be Make fun. Make you watch it another time and see next Halloween. Appreciation watch for it, it one more time. Over time. All right. You're going to have to tell us what you think. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. Tell us what you think, friends. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards. When you hear us next time, dear God help me, we'll be talking about Halloween Kills. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm, I get to join Tom in his, in his, in his fits of rage. While discussing that movie. All right. Thank you for listening, everyone. Say goodbye to the good people, Tom. Oh shit. <laughs> that wasn't a, that wasn't a quote from the movie. That was just my genuine reaction to the, the prospect of discussing Halloween kills. Yes. All right, until gotta, then. Gotta love that kid though. Gotta love, love that, that kid. boy. Alright, until then, everyone. <laughs>